back to another episode of the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we also recognize that anytime Reformation happens, it is messy. So we're taking the opportunity to talk to pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church about what's happening in our denomination, but also about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every Monday. Also, if you can think of anyone who would benefit from this podcast, share it with them. Let them know what we're doing. Help us get the word out there. With all that said, we've got a special episode this week where we talk to Matt Wonderland, who's a pastor of a Southern Baptist church, but's connected to the CRC through Calvin Seminary. So listen in on part one of our interview. Why don't you uh, start off and just give us a, a picture of who you are and where you're at and, and what church you're doing ministry in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, Jason and Willie, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Jason, as you know, that I'm not a part of the CRC. I'm part of the Southern Baptist Convention. I've been the pastor of Rolling Hills Church down in Southwest Wisconsin since 2014. So I actually went through Calvin Seminary as a pastor, which was a really interesting experience. I've been married to my wife, Reka, since uh, 2000. We have seven children. We have five girls and two boys, and they range in age from two and a half years old all the way to 19. So I've got an entire youth ministry experience happening in my house every single week. Amen. So it's, it's an exciting time, but yeah, it's an exciting time. Yeah. Well, you stay busy. You know, I know you stay busy as a pastor and you stay busy taking care of all those kids and your wife, uh, but you have... Um, some involvement outside of that too in the military. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I have been in the Air Force's version of the National Guard, the Air National Guard for almost 20 years. It's going to be 20 years in January. And I had recently switched to the chaplain corps. So I am doing some chaplain ministry type things with the military, which is something, a passion I developed after my deployment. It was something that was always on the back burner as I thought about ministry, but once I deployed and I saw the importance of that role and just how it affected people and affected just the unit in such a positive way, I really felt like God was calling me to go into that area. So yeah, it's been 20 years and I'm starting a new career. So I guess I'm going to be in for a few more. <laughs> so you're not just going to pull your 20 and hop out like a lot of guys do, huh? Uh, no, not at this point. I, I never would have believed it though. Never would have believed it when I first started. I thought I was going to do six years get out. And uh, here I am still. So my, I <laughs> might've told you this, Jason, but my first, my first day on the job was nine 11. So I had just gotten back from oh, training wow. and my literal first day was nine 11. And that kind of changed all of my uh, perceptions about how long I'm going to stay in and what I'm doing and the importance Whoa. of what we're doing. I did not know that. That's uh that's pretty, what okay. a wake up call. <laughs> that's huge. Uh, Yes, it was. It was. My yeah, base I, commander, because I had just gotten back from tech school, he said, he said, uh, this is our situation. Uh, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know anything. 
<laughs> those first day experiences, huh? I, uh, I've told people I had one of those, uh, just, I mean, obviously not to the level of nine 11, but my first, uh, literally within 15 minutes of starting at my current church, um, I had just moved into the community. I didn't know anything about anywhere. I mean, I was just completely lost and I got a phone call at church from somebody saying, my dad just got put on hospice. He's going to die. Can you come and, and give me some pastoral advice? And I was like, wow. uh, yeah, where's the hospital? <laughs> and so, oh, wow. <laughs> and wow. so I like, I've been in the office for less than 15 minutes and I'm like, I don't even know where the hospital is. I'm so new to this community. And so went there and then uh, it was really funny because it got even wilder from that point because I got there and and there were three daughters um, who are really grieving the lot. You know, their dad was um, unconscious and was going to pass away. And, mm. and so I was connecting with them, talking about their dad. And he was a musician. And so I was trying to connect with them and say, I'm like, oh, yeah, I play mm -hmm. guitar and I sing a little bit. And they're like, oh, you sing? Can you sing our dad a song? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and and I'm like, right there. And I'm like, oh, right, right now. Yeah, yeah. Can you sing our dad a song right now? And I'm like, oh. Sure. You. So there we go. <laughs> I never know what ministry is going to bring. Yeah, yeah. So less than an hour at my new position, I'm singing <laughs> in a hospital room <laughs> with a family, but uh, it was really powerful. We've wow. had a pretty solid relationship Amen. Um, with this family now for the last couple of years. And uh, it was a good ministry opportunity, but you never know what God's going to do when he calls you into something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the questions, you know, some people might be wondering why we're talking to you um, as a Southern Baptist mm -hmm. pastor about a, um, you know, on a podcast where we're talking about the Christian Reformed Church. But but one of the reasons we wanted to interview you was because you graduated from Calvin Seminary. And so you've kind of got this outsider perspective of being a Southern Baptist pastor going through Calvin Seminary and graduating and uh, we wanted to get some of your thoughts on what you were seeing there. But but first, um, why don't you give us a, some insight? What, as a Southern Baptist pastor, what drew you to Calvin Theological Seminary? Yeah, well, as I was looking through the uh, the options for seminary, I was really feeling like God had called me to seminary. I, and as I was looking through them, I definitely wanted some strong reformed theology. I felt like that was an area that I did not want to have any compromises on. You know, there's really no such thing as a perfect place. But as you start to examine, you know, you start to figure out what you're willing to live with and what you're what you're not. And, you know, I was open to a lot of the things that that I saw on the website. A lot of the things that uh, I saw as differences. You know, I, I looked at them and they're like, oh, these are these are minor family squabbles. This is not this is not things where people are going to plant a hill and die on some of this. And, and I, I got to tell you, my time at Kelvin was amazing. The, the professors, the people, everyone was, was so uh, both open-minded, but also insightful and just welcoming. Uh, they, you know, they learned a lot about me, I think. And I learned, definitely learned a lot about them. And I do got to tell you this because when I first went to Kelvin, uh, I didn't realize the CRC was actually a denomination. I actually thought it was a larger umbrella term. Uh, there are no CRC churches around us, but I quickly learned, and uh, I do think it was an amazing experience. And 
And now I actually probably use CRC resources as much, if not more, as Southern Baptist as I'm doing sermon prep, as I'm looking at ministry and some of the the journals out there and and uh, intergenerational worship and things like that. So it's it's been blessing. The people I've met there, the the lessons I learned, and even some of the resources I continue to use. It's it's certainly something that God put in my path. Yeah, it's kind of funny being uh, because we we are such a small denomination and we we sometimes can forget how small we are, that nobody knows us. We kind of get in our own little worlds and, and there's these little like CRC pockets, you know, I mean, Grand Rapids is its own like Jerusalem mm-hmm. of, of the CRC, but there's other little pockets. And uh, when I met my wife too, um, she grew up in the Catholic church, so they don't really know much about anything outside of the Catholic church. Um, and she, I remember her saying, well, what church do you go to? And I said, oh, I go to the Christian Reformed Church. She said, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that you're like kind of Christian? I don't know what that means. <laughs> and I was like, no, that doesn't mean that, I, that we're, we're the people who broke off from you guys about 500 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So that, that went over well with the parents and everything, but. Um, yeah, I'm sure that was a a fun conversation. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, there, I mean, we're in the grand scheme of things. We are a small, uh, a small denomination and not many people know of us. Um, and, uh, and we can easily become, uh, we can forget that because we're just, we're always talking with each other Mm. all the time and we can kind of think we're, we're Mm -hmm. bigger and people know what's going on. And and that's actually one of the criticisms I've heard from uh from other pastors outside of our denomination um there's a there's an e-free pastor that i talk with regularly and he said you know you reformed guys you just talk like everyone should know like everyone should do things the way that you think <laughs> you just assume that you're right all the time and well, and that yeah, everyone man. should just always focus this way <laughs> i'm glad you understand yeah well hey you know yeah well one of the things that i noticed at kelvin was that people would play this game of like, oh, you're in Visalia, California. So you must know so-and-so and you must know so. And I'm an outsider watching this happen. They're going, I don't know who any of these people, I've never even heard of that community, much less that church and the pastor. And, you know, people can go back three or four generations of pastors and talk about it, which, which, you know, has its own charm too. But I just remember sitting there going, wow, we don't have anything like this in Southern Baptist land. It's it is a unique the whole uh you know in the CRC it's called Dutch bingo right everybody every time you meet someone you got to try to connect the dots to find your way back and and we're all so used to it but it, people from the outside come in and say this is the weirdest thing I've ever been a part of and uh, my kids have found it funny because because I think when when you know the the Dutch immigrated to the United States and it was like most immigrants really they they immigrated and they were around other people of their own nationality so we have all these little i always call them little dutch ghettos um throughout the united states and people know them and so um so my family when we came over from the netherlands um we eventually landed in pease minnesota so that's where willie's a a member of a church at the population of pease is like 300 people Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's and I mean so it's really small and the north of it's a town of uh, about a couple thousand and the south of it's a town of about five thousand and so we were I was a youth pastor at a church of in a town of about five thousand and so people would ask my kids oh where are you from and they'd say oh we're from Princeton 
because it was kind of the bigger town that was around and mm. they would say oh we don't know where that is um and then they would say well how about malacca because that was you know about two thousand people we don't know where that is and they'd say well we're from peas oh we know where peas is <laughs> oh, and they would just funny. die laughing they're like this little town of like 300 people but because it's so interconnected in the crc i mean the church has been around for Right, Willie? They just celebrated 125 years this year, right? 125, that's right. Wow. Yeah. That's great. And so uh, people know of this puny little town because of our interconnectedness, which is a good thing um, in some ways, but also um, can be not helpful as well. So It has its challenges and limitations. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. So coming into Calvin Sem, what were uh, you kind of mentioned some of the the strengths and the positives that you saw there? But do you want to elaborate on some of the things that coming into the seminary that you really appreciated? Yeah, absolutely. I think the 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 strong reform background that's that was a huge thing for me as I came into the seminary and just seeing the tradition and the the intellectual. follow through on some of these thoughts is, is, is remarkable. I I'm, I'm kind of a head person and to see, to meet all kinds of other people who were in their head all the time was, was a lot of fun, especially when it comes to something cool like reformed theology. But some of the other things that I've been really impressed by with the CRC, um, I think one of the big ones is their concern for, uh, for interfaith dialogue. Of course, that's part of the reason that I was able to, to be at Calvin is because of this interfaith dialogue and just the way that, you know, they, they really approach it in a charitable way where, you know, these are, these are people that maybe we, we think we're right, but at the same time, we understand that there are well-meaning people, people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who have some disagreements with us. And, and we're going to be okay with that. Let's focus on Christian unity because they'll know we are Christians by our love. Um, You know, these things can be taken too far, but you know, some of the things that I saw in, in being on the other end of experiencing it was, was a very positive thing. Some of the other things I've been really impressed with is some of the the conversations about race, immigration, and also just uh, work within the prison system. Um, Again, I think some people can take these too far, but I I was just really impressed with the balance that I saw, at least with the people that I came across with. And uh, going to the prison thing too, just the work that was being done in the Angola prison system, like that was... Uh, every time I heard something about that, it was just absolutely remarkable. And, mm-hmm. and I, I don't have any experience with that in my life. We've got little prisons and jails around here, but we don't have any large systems like that. So those were, those were some things. And, and the, the intergenerational worship, I already brought that up, but that's another area that uh, we, we as American churches and Southern Baptists in particular, we like to divide everybody up and to kind of get back to that idea that we are one community. And this is this dividing people up and separating them by age groups is more of an American cultural thing than it really is a biblical thing. And seeing the CRC approach that has been just really reassuring to me as to what my convictions are from scripture, but also just to to see them leaning into that and trying to reach nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, not the Catholic nuns that your wife are familiar with, but the (laughs) N-O-N-E-S and and, uh, doing some cultural exegesis, but recognizing that this this intergenerational worship is is important. So there's there's a lot of thing good things going on, and I think sometimes as we we think about things that might be problematic when we get to extremes and we get our focus on the negative, it's easy to forget that there are a lot of positive things going on. Yeah, amen. I agree. 
Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned regarding prison ministry, that as you were talking about that, it it struck me that, you know, I know um, Willie has people from his church that are doing a Bible study in the local jail there. And then we have, uh, we live, so I'm I'm, I'm a pastor in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, and just north of me about 10, 15 miles is Waupon, which is known as Prison City. And so we've got, uh, we've got a high security uh, uh, prison and uh, a couple other lower security prisons. And the, so we've got prisons everywhere. And, uh, and the CRC churches in our area, too, have a definite focus on doing ministry in, in the prisons. And so it's kind of an, it is an interesting connection. I hadn't fully thought of that, that the CRC has this impulse of diving into, diving into the prisons and and doing ministry there. It's a, it's a, it is a really huge thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's a part of, it's part of our gospel witness, right? Visiting orphans, widows, visiting people in prison, you know, in the last day when Jesus is going to say, Hey, did you, you know, did you feed me? Did you, did you clothe me? Did you visit me in prison? And, you know, that's, that's an area that I see the CRC really diving into. And it's just a real positive thing. You can learn a lot from that. Just church, American Christianity can learn a lot from the CRC based on what I've seen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And I also think um, that the intergenerational thing that you're talking about, uh, um, I see as a really positive step in the right direction for the CRC. Um, And uh, not that we're going to get into the debate about baptizing babies or not, but I do think (laughs) it flows, it does flow from our, uh, our covenantal theology um, of like, hey, we believe these these are members of the covenant, our covenant family, and uh, and they are part of the church, and and we want them to be part of it. And interestingly, or sadly for me, um, for so long the CRC was trying to get rid of that and become like all these other mm. denominations that were splitting everybody up. Like we are kind of ignoring our theology on that because the broader evangelical church was doing this ministry of dividing everyone up into different age groups and discipling them in that way. And now mm-hmm. um, we're starting to kind of get back into this. And, and I don't know if it's necessarily we're the ones driving it because there's kind of a cultural push back to like, Hey, we need to have older people mm-hmm. meeting with younger people. We need this intergenerational thing. But, but as I've talked to churches about this over the years, I've said this, especially for us in the Christian Reformed Church, um, this flows directly out of our covenant theology that, that we're going to interact on, on this level. And so um, it's really nice to see this starting to come back and us to dive into this, that part of what we believe. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, we're not going to dive into those, those little differences, but, but I can, I just from having gone to Calvin and going through that with you guys, I can totally see that that's a natural extension. And we've certainly got some subcultures in the Southern Baptist world that are, that are doing the same thing. Just looking at, um, wait, why did we start doing this? And, you know, I don't know what it's like for you up in Beaver Dam uh, or, or where uh, up in little Pease, Minnesota, Willie, but it's, uh, People come to church and the first thing they want to hear about is programs and they want to hear about, you know, what can we do? And, you know, and programs have a place, but let's, when we're worshiping, let's be together and let's, let's learn from, you know, little people want to be like big people. And and when they see you worship and they, they learn from that so much better than you can learn from, you know, going and making some macaroni art while the, while the sermon's going on, because the sermons, that's really not for 
you. And this other thing's really not for you. You know, those are for big people, church, not for not mm -hmm. for little kids. But um, training kids how to be in church is so important. And of course, with seven of my own, uh, they they get they get some training. Let me tell you. Amen. Yeah. Well, I was gonna. That's what was gonna where I was gonna go next because a lot of people struggle with that idea of keeping kids in church in the pew. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. as a parent of seven, I can't imagine that that's an easy task. Well, especially for your wife because you get to be up in the pulpit, but your I, wife I get is to sitting leave. there with the yeah. rest of them. Yeah. So uh, what is what does she think of that? How, or how, what are some of her tactics in helping the kids? In some the of pew? well. One of the things that I've always told people about, and this this helps not just us at church, but this helps us just get out of the door every morning. We have uh, we have a buddy system set up where the older kids help with the younger kids, and so there's there's this expectation that you're going to um, you're going to help your younger siblings. Now, some of my my older children now are doing things in the service. You know, my daughter plays piano, so she's part of the music team. My son, my oldest son runs the soundboard. And so that's dissipating a little bit, but the, the younger ones are now getting a little bit older. Um, and part, a lot of it, I think too, it comes from doing it at home, uh, doing our home Bible study, doing family worship at home. And when our kids hit a certain age, they know here's the standard. The standard is you at least have to sit in your chair and listen. We might give you some coloring. We might ask you to draw some pictures of what you hear, but here's the standard. And when you do it at home six days of the week or seven days a week, uh, when you do it in church, it's just the, it's the normal thing to do. And, um, you know, then the standard gets, a, get, we raise the bar in sort of an age appropriate way as, as we continue across. And I think um, something else we do is as the service is going on, we whisper things to the kids, you know, Hey, did you notice this? What do you think about that? Why are we doing it? Why are we doing this this way? And when I'm preaching, I actually do ask the kids questions during the sermon and, and have them consult their parents uh, and tell them what they think about certain things. And it, it, it's not always easy to do, but, but I do try to do that. Um, and, and I'd, let's be real. So some of this is about training the other people in church who don't have kids that sometimes yeah. kids are going to make noise. Sometimes the children are going to run around a little bit. And, you know, for me, I'm always like, hey, kids, guess what? Every adult outranks you. So if they outrank you, they can they can tell you to go back to your seat. Amen. <laughs> so there's a little bit of that going on, too. But, you know, there there has to be a little bit of patience and tolerance for just the age that that children are at. Babies are going to cry. Two year olds are going to run back and forth in the pews a little bit um, as long as they're not uh, running up to. Uh, join me up on this, uh, up by the stage on the altar, by the podium there. Uh, we'll, Amen. we'll be okay. Yeah. I've had, I've had a couple times where some kids have gone up there, but you know what? A lot of times it's just, you know, we're not doing a production. We are, Amen. we are in worship and we are, uh, we're relating even, you know, in different ways, but you know, it's a, we, it's not like we need to ignore what's going on. You know, if, exactly. if uh, someone's two-year-old starts climbing up onto, uh, where I'm preaching, I'm just going to say, you know, hi, JL, how are you doing? Hey, do you want to come up? So I've done this. I've picked them up and said, hey, you want to come up here with me for a little bit? Okay, well, let's put you back down. And we're a church yeah. of, we average in attendance about 100. So it's not like we're 20 people, but we're not 5,000 either. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I, I think it's a lot of little things, but yeah, definitely training the congregation and training your children at home. If you're just doing it one hour a week, kids are not going to learn in that one hour a week. And then that becomes just, behavior control and parents going shush 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 why don't we have why don't we have a larger nursery and and <laughs> do things yeah. so yeah 
it can be somewhere else. So I think a lot of it starts at home. Mm-hmm. Amen. I, uh, well, I've got two questions that keep rolling around in my head, but I'll ask you the first one. Cause I I'm just curious. Have you ever yeah. had to discipline one of your kids from the pulpit? <laughs> Ooh, that's a good, I have not had to do that. I, there was one time I came very close though, because I think my wife had taken my youngest to go change her diaper and the second youngest was starting to act up a little bit. And I gave her the dad look, right? I gave her the dad mm-hmm. look. And yep. she just kind of looked back at me like, what are you going to do about it, big man? You're up there. I'm down here. And uh, <laughs> but my, my, son, my son caught the dad look and realized he needed to do something at that moment. But I have been in church where a different pastor disciplined his children, which made me feel, you know, not like a like a better parent, but made me feel like like, wow, OK, I do have the freedom to do this. And I yeah. think, too, from the congregation standpoint, if they saw my kids misbehaving and I'm just up there seeing it and it's distracting and I don't do anything about it. Now, my example to the congregation is is diminished as well. Yeah. Yeah, I had it once and my my wife was able to handle it. But my daughter was like slowly like she'd inch one seat away and then eat one seat away and then one seat away. And I noticed I didn't notice it happening until I noticed other people in our church starting to smile because they could see like, oh, this little disobedience is happening. And what's she going to do and what he's going to do? And she inched away Mm -hmm. and then she got up and she's and I'm like, (laughs) Uh, but, but we were able to get yeah. a hold of it, but I haven't had to discipline well, from the pulpit yet, but we were just yeah. talking about it this last week that maybe we'll just shock and awe one of these Sundays and <laughs> yeah, just, just, just go all basic training instructor on them, like from the pulpit. No, <laughs> I, uh, I, I think did... it's good. I think it's good though. Like for the congregation to see that you're not perfect, that you, exactly. that your kids aren't perfect either, that this is, we are all, we are all one body at, with many different parts and, and just because you're in that part there does not mean that your kids uh, need to be perfect. And I think that, you know, some of the old, you know, the jokes about the PKs, the pastor kids, you know, and all of them being so, you know, rebellious. And some, some of that might stem from this idea that they were forced into this idea that they had to be perfect. And um, yeah. when people just realize they're just normal. You know, it, yeah. it gives a lot of, uh, it's very helpful, I think. Yeah. And I, and I've told pastors this, and I tell my kids this as well. Um, you know, as a pastor of the church, my kids don't, I don't feel like my kids have the, the uh, expectation that they have to set an example, but the Bible mm-hmm. explicitly tells us as pastors, set an example, <laughs> like that's your that's job right. to set an example right. of what it means to be a Christian. But that does not mean we're perfect. It actually means when we mess up, then we mess up like a Christian. We say, right. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Please and forgive me. Repent, mm-hmm. Right? We mm-hmm. repent of our sin Absolutely. and we ask forgiveness. And then we move forward in, in faithfulness of Christ's forgiveness. And we um, and we need to show people that as pastors. And and it's a it can be a hard thing to do because we to say, I really blew that one. Um, mm-hmm. and yet we need to do that as as a as a pastor. We need to I think our repentance has to be about it has to be as public as our, as our sin as well. Right. And so if, Absolutely. if I blow up at my kid after church one Sunday in, the, you know, in the mm-hmm. foyer and everyone sees it, um, I need to mm-hmm. apologize to my kid, but then the next Sunday I need to say, I got it. Sorry. That was not cool. Yeah. I should not have done that. And that's a boy, that's a hard one to swallow. 
those I, I've had to do some public apologies for things where I, I either thought I was being funny or, you know, just lost my cool for a second. Then I realized, ah, oh, this that was that was probably not good. And so doing those public apologies, it 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 reminds you that you are not a super Christian, but you are an example of what it means to be a Christian when you screw up. And so, yeah, yeah it's and it's humbling. That is for sure. Yeah, it's humbling. But then uh, and also I feel like as a pastor, it's a it's a great discipleship opportunity for the rest of your church as well, because mm-hmm. you're giving them an example of, OK, when you mess up mm-hmm. in the future here's, here's how you should respond as a Christian, you're, you're going to mess up. And mm-hmm. so your response is repent, right? Seek forgiveness <laughs> and, uh, and then move on with it. And don't just sit and beat yourself up forever and ever and ever, because Christ has forgiven you rest in your salvation and, and move forward. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'd love to keep talking about this, but I also want to get into <laughs> some of the, uh, some of the other things that you saw at Calvin. So as you went to Calvin, um, what were mm-hmm. some of the things that surprised you as, as you were there? And, uh, and then to get even more pointed, what were some of the things that you saw that were concerning to you as you, as you spent time at Calvin seminary? Sure. I think one of the things that surprised, you know, sometimes a strength can also be a weakness, right? Yeah. Um, when you take the strength too far. And I think the thing that, kind of surprised me was when we would start to, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to use an umbrella term. And even as I say this, I don't want you to think that I think every single person in the CRC is this way. Uh, but there in many times there was this just diminished uh, respect for the authority of scripture. And mm. it, it surprised me because what I would see is people who have this really strong theology but, and they were very intelligent people, but sometimes they would use that in ways that go against the very things they were teaching. So, you know, we had this hermeneutical method that the, uh, the five areas of hermeneutics that we all sat through and um, absorbed from, you know, very first day in seminary uh, on campus, that is. And, and, but sometimes I'd see it not being used. And it, it just blew my mind that, that sometimes other things would begin to trump the authority of scripture. And Mm. so that was, that was probably the biggest thing. And, and some of it was, you know, perhaps an unspoken because it's a sensitive issue in the CRC, or maybe it has something to do with um, how do you maintain your, your regional accreditation in this day and age, as Mm. some of these topics are brought up. And I know I've said things to professors over the, over the years, and they just went, they just go silent. They go calm silent. Like they're not going to talk about it. Like, you know, you don't talk about male headship. Do not even bring that topic up. We're not yep. going to talk about it. When, when I think in it, it, I'm okay with people bringing up alternative opinions, but let's get back to scripture and talk about why we believe what we believe instead yeah. of just saying, nope, we're not going to, we're not going to talk about this. Well, that's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our interview with Matt Wonderland. And until then, don't forget that this is Christ's church, and he bought this church with his blood, and he warned us that wolves would come in and try to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine, preach the word in season and out of season, and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Reformation.